This is the story of God's great love for you. It's not a collection of individual stories from the past. It's one big story that God put together for us to grasp. In the beginning, God created this great world and everything was good. Then sin entered the world. And as a result of that, here we are today with all of our problems. How has God gone about solving this problem for us? How does God go about fixing it? Just like you are not a summary of the stories of your life, this is one big story that God has put together to restore us. This morning I want to bring you greetings from Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, where I had the opportunity this past week to speak two days at a conference of uh, Christian pastors and movement leaders. And uh, I wanted to share with you just a couple of pictures because they appreciate you so much. There are about 90 of us that, um, I think it's the next slide, there are about 90 of us that were together and um, it was just a wonderful time. In fact, the room ended up being too small, so as you'll see, we moved to a bigger room, and I want to share with you some of their music. It's very exciting to see how many young men and women um, are giving their lives to making the hope of the gospel known uh, throughout Africa. There are about four or five countries that represented there, mostly from East Africa. And it was a joy just to talk to them about you know, our character and, and what it means to walk in, in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they so appreciate you and your prayers and, and sharing me as a resource uh, with them as well. I also heard quite a few stories of how God is at work in some of the most difficult countries in Africa. And you know, you hear about these things, but then to meet somebody who says, I can verify it, I, I hear it, I see it all the time, is very unique. And so, um, you know, this, you've probably read and heard about how people are having visions of Jesus and coming to faith. And when I asked that question, they all looked at me like, where have you been? I mean, that's an everyday occurrence now. And they said, normally what will happen is a, a person will have this vision uh, of Christ speaking to them, and they're told in the vision that somebody's going to bring them the good news, the gospel, and within days that person shows up, and it's so easy for them to hear it and receive it. And so it's just very exciting to see how God is at work, because sometimes, you know, in our world, we just think that, you know, everything's just in chaos and there's no hope anywhere and the reality is there is hope God is at work in fact in our partnership with TTI as, as we think about what's happening in Asia and Africa we know right now that every 16 minutes one church is being planted isn't that amazing so God is doing good things and uh, what's exciting is that you and I get to play a little part in all of that but I want to share that with you because we are back in our series where we're talking about grasping God's big story and how from Genesis to Revelation, we have God's story, not our story, but God's story to you and me 
about what has happened and what he's done to make it possible for us to be in relationship with him again. And a wonderful thing about God's story is it's a true story. Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but not my story, not my word. You can count on my word. And so as we are going back into this series, I'll remind you that when we were in Genesis, we talked about how everything was at the beginning. It was all so good. And then we looked at season two, the crisis, right? Now sin has ruined our souls, ruined our lives. But in season three, I'm very excited about this. We're talking about redemption. And this word is just how God brings us back to himself. The hope we have and the potential of hope that people don't know him yet also have. And so we're going to be looking into the book of Romans. And I've asked Pastor Dan if he'd come up and read our passage for this morning. Romans chapter 1, 1 through 7 and 14 through 17. And uh, because we believe in God's word, because we believe it's our foundation, let's all stand together as we hear the word of God read to us. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long again through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him and bring glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You can be seated. You know, we stand for the reading of God's word because we believe it's living and active. It's not just history. It's something that changes our lives. And when Paul wrote those words, he wrote those words to believers just like you and me who were living in and around the city of Rome. And he writes them to tell them that what they've received and what they are sharing with others changes life. It is a gospel message, he says to them. And we're going to be looking at the significance of what the gospel means. Tim Keller uh, writes and says that those last few verses that Daniel read to us that talk about the gospel as the power of God, that in those verses we have, we have a summary, we have the summation of what the good news is. 
By the way, Tim Keller passed away this week of uh, cancer of the pancreas. And, and, and though I grieve that he's gone because I was so influenced by his writings. His writings continue, but I just think about the celebration that he's having right now, uh, rejoicing in, in redemption, rejoicing what God did for him and what he was able to preach about God. And, I, and you and I will have that joy and that opportunity someday as well. But as we, as we think about the gospel, what makes it so significant? Why do we stand for the word of God? Why, why is the word of God so precious to you and me? And especially this, this quote, gospel message. Well, Martin Luther, in one of his books, kind of gives us a picture of why the gospel is so important. He tells us a little bit about how he really came to faith. I want to read to you what he wrote. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather murmured against him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that through gift and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into a paradise. When I saw that the law meant one thing and the gospel meant another, I broke through. And that's the phrase, I broke through. And I broke through into freedom and I broke through into joy and I broke through into eternal peace and, and, and a sense of great hope is what Luther is saying. And that's what the gospel does for you and me. It allows us to have a breakthrough. So for those of us who are here today and we would call ourselves followers of Christ, can you think of a time in your life when you had that breakthrough? Do you think about what's happened to you as a breakthrough for your life? Do you know people right now in your family, at work, at school, in the neighborhood who need a breakthrough? The gospel brings a breakthrough. The gospel is like spiritual CPR. How many of you know CPR? Good. We're in good shape. All right. Um, I know CPR. In fact, when I was an uh, EMT for a while, I, I had the chance to use CPR on, on several, several individuals. And uh, I, I'm glad to say it's uh, quite a few of them, not all, but quite a few of them, actually were resuscitated as we did CPR on them. And it's an amazing thing to watch somebody who's lost their color, who's not breathing, who's flatlined. It's an amazing thing to, to use CPR, maybe defibrillate them, and all of a sudden, they breathe again. Their heart beats again. They come alive. Color comes back to their skin. It's, it's an amazing experience to be part of seeing somebody come back to life again. Well, what CPR is to our biological, our physiological bodies, the gospel is to our spiritual life. The gospel resuscitates us spiritually. It makes us come alive. So what is this gospel that's changed our lives? What is it ultimately all about? I want to talk to you, first of all, about the form of the gospel, the shape of the gospel. And I want to wow you with my Greek skills, all right? So it comes from two words, and the first one is, it's not hard to forget, you, all right? 
And uh, that word actually means good, okay? And the other word is agelos, okay? And that word means news, all right? And what's interesting about this word is it describes a messenger or a herald that would, and, and this is H-E-R, okay, herald, all right, that would, that would announce news because you may not realize this, but back in those days, they did not have the internet. They didn't have texting. They didn't have phones. They didn't have the media. And the only way you got news is somebody had to show up and announce the news. And so oftentimes this was used, especially when cities were battling cities, right? And your army's gone out to fight another army, and you want to know what's going on. And somebody would either run back or ride back, and, and they would announce, our army is winning the battle. And everybody would rejoice. Or they'd ride back and they say, our army is losing the battle, and everybody would run for the hills. So what Paul is saying is the gospel is this announcement that a battle has been fought, it has been won, Christ has won the victory for all of us. The gospel is the fact that Jesus won a victory for all of humanity, and it needs to be announced, it needs to be shared. You know, sometimes when you ask people what they, what they think of the gospel, even Christians, they, they, they talk about it as though it's more good advice than it is good news. And there's a huge difference between good advice and good news. For instance, good news is something that's already happened. Good advice kind of sits there and, you know, I can pick it up and, and I can begin to read it and apply it in my life. But no, good news talks about something that already happened. It doesn't ever need to happen again, and it happened for you and me. Good news is something that is unexpected and surprising. It, it, it kind of is startling and it's, and it's exciting. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you wonder, okay, do I have cancer or not? And the doctor walks in and they say, I've got good news for you. And your whole life is changed with what they say, right? Or I've got good news to you, it's a boy. Or I've got good news to you, it's a girl. Or I've got good news to you, whatever it might be. It's, it's exhilarating. That's what the gospel is. It's good news about something that's unexpected and surprising, whereas advice is kind of always there. The good news is something that brings eternal joy and peace. It's eternal. The result of the good news is something I can count on for eternity. That's what Luther found. Whereas advice, you know, I can, you know, it's temporary, right? It works for now, it may not work for tomorrow. The good news is something you want to share with others. When you get that diagnosis and you're told you don't have cancer, first you thank God, right? The second thing you want to do is call the people that are closest to you and say, I've got good news. It's not cancer. <laughs> I've got good news. I got the job. I got good news. I got a raise. I got good news. The baby is healthy or whatever it might be. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is this tremendous, good, exciting news. And that's what separates that's what separates true biblical Christianity from every other religion. Because every other religion is a program that you have to follow, a philosophy you have to believe in, something you have to do. The gospel has nothing to do with what you and I have to do. It is all about what God has done for us. Amen? So here's a little test you might want to try sometime. 
Ask your children, ask your grandkids, ask your friends. Be innocent, be honest about it. Don't be manipulative with it. Ask to simply want to know, but ask them to say, what do you think the essence of Christianity is? What do you think the essence of Christianity is? And I have found that you're going to get, oftentimes in a secular society, either positive, what I call positive misconceptions, or negative misconceptions. Positive misconceptions. Some people say to you, well, the essence of Christianity is love everybody. Well, that's true. I mean, we should love everybody, but that is not the gospel. That's not what changes our lives. Others will say, well, I mean, the, the, the essence of Christianity is a golden rule, right? Don't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, that's a nice, that's a nice idea, but that is not the gospel. Then there's the negative misconceptions of the gospel. And if you ask somebody, what do you think is the essence of Christianity? As soon as they hear Christianity, they, hear, they think of evangelicalism. As soon as they think of evangelicalism, they think about what they read in the news. And so they'll say something to you like, oh, the essence of Christianity is legalism. It's all about rule keeping. It's oppressive. Others say, oh, oh, the essence of Christianity, it's political. It's exclusive to a certain group, to a certain culture. Others say, oh, Christianity, the essence of Christianity is, is all about greed and money. People being extorted out of their money to make, you know, a certain few wealthy. They, they, use, they use religion to take advantage of others. What causes these misconceptions that people have about Christianity? What do you think causes that? Somebody nailed it in the last service. Right away, as soon as I said that, they said Christians. And it's true. It's bad examples that Christians sometimes set that oftentimes creates these negative misconceptions. Why? Because we get our eyes off the essence of the faith, which is that powerful gospel message that God has given to us. So what is that message? Let's talk now about the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. It's summed up in verses 16 through 17 that Dan read. Let's read it together, though. Out loud, please. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us of how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So the good news, the message of good news is God has made you, that Jesus has made you right with his Father. God has made you right with himself. And what Luther discovered is this, that in essence what, what happened is that, is that Jesus brought us into a righteous relationship with God. Righteousness came to us and has changed our lives. We are made absolutely, completely right with God. And it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. Now, I want to share something very personal with you. I've talked about it in my book that I've written, if you've had a chance to get that. But, you know, I, I grew up hearing the gospel message. I, I grew up hearing the scriptures preached and taught, and, and, and I even memorized some of those passages. And, and I went to Bible college, and I went to seminary, and I was a pastor. 
and yet I, had, I struggled until my mid-30s. I struggled with accepting the essence of the gospel. What I mean by that is this. I knew that Jesus saved me by grace, but I struggled to believe that God would love me because I was so conscious of how sinful I was. Given all that I've been through in my past and my struggle with OCD, and my form of OCD is called scrupulosity, where I grab a thought and I can't stop thinking about it, so if I say or do something wrong, I obsess over why did I say that, why did I do that, and then I begin to feel like, you know, there's just no way God can handle somebody like me who just keeps messing up all the time. What do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need to give? How can I be in a place where God can truly love me because I wasn't really sure that he loved me because of how I saw myself? And I don't think I'm the only Christian who struggles with that. Especially if you've been through a lot in your life and you feel guilt for that or shame for that. It's hard sometimes to believe that God would honestly love you. It just feels like there's something that you have to do or keep doing to have that, have that love be poured out on you. And it wasn't until I read a little book which changed my life. It's a very precious book to me called the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning, who passed away several years ago. It wasn't until I read that book that my life was changed. Now, Brendan Manning was no saint. He was an ex-Catholic priest. If you know his life, he struggled with a lot of things. But the one thing that he did is he brought out the message of grace like nobody I've ever heard before. And I read that book, and it changed my life. It caused what I read in the scriptures. It caused, through his life story and through how he wrote, it just caused it to become so real for me. And I want to share, you so, share with you some of the things that I read, some of the things he said about God's grace and God's love that meant so much to me. Here's, here's a, a, a several of them. For instance, quote, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. See, I could say that first part, I'm deeply loved by Jesus, but I struggled to believe it. It was something that, that I you know, that I could just have. I just felt like there's something he had to do. Or he, he wrote, grace is not earned. It is a gift from God. No one is too far gone. Glad to hear that. Too lost or too far from God's mercy to be saved by his grace. Or he wrote, God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be, Right? Or he wrote, the gospel is absurd, and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, rose again with but one purpose in mind, to make brand new creation. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professing lovers, men and women, who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the Spirit that burns within, who would live in ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent Word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be a Christian. Or he wrote, grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone that it cannot cover. Grace is enough. Finally, the gospel of grace announces that God has come to save sinners. He did not come to reward the righteous, but to save the guilty. He did not come to call the morally upright but sinners. And for some reason, that was my, quote, breakthrough moment. When I just finally got it, okay, 
Stop huffing and puffing. Accept you're never going to be good enough. It is what he did for you. That is the essence of Christianity. That is the message of the gospel. And so I wrote Brendan Manning, and I said, Brendan, can you come? Can you come share what you wrote in that book? Can you come share it with our congregation? Because we so need to hear it. And I, I asked him how much his fee was, and he told me, and my jaw about dropped on the floor. And I said, well, I guess you won't be coming to share with us. <laughs> and he said, but I, I feel like I should. He says, so whatever you can do, that's fine with me. And he came. Now, back in those days, oftentimes churches would hold like little Bible conferences. So once a year, I would hold a conference from Sunday morning to Wednesday night. And normally, it starts out at being attended really well on Sunday, but by Wednesday, you got a handful of people left, right? This was the opposite. Brennan showed up on Sunday morning, and by Wednesday, at our little worship center seated 300 people. By Wednesday, there was no room left in the pews, and people were literally sitting on the floors and the steps listening. And it was nothing about Brennan himself, but it was this message coming from a broken man who found out what grace really means that was just transforming lives. And I remember after the services, people would stay there and they would be weeping. And on the last night, on Wednesday night, there's so many people that just stayed and were weeping and were weeping. And finally, they all left. There's one woman sitting on the very end of a pew. I'll never forget her. I can see her in my mind. I knew her. She had lots of issues going on in her life. She was weeping. Her cousin was with her, and I walked over there to try to find out what was going on, and I found out there were tears of joy. For the first time in her life, she came to grips with the fact that God loved her, and there was nothing she had to do to earn that love. That no matter what she had said or what others had said or done to her, she was loved, and it was because of his grace, and it liberated her life. That is the essence of Christianity. That is the message of the gospel. Do you know it? Has it set you free? Has it changed our lives? Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, through him, that's Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? It means that God has taken his glory and he's actually shared his glory with you and with me. He said, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him for the wrath of God? For, it, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does it mean to be justified? We throw that word around a lot, right? What does that mean? It means that Jesus shed his blood in order to put us in a right relationship with his Father. It is the picture of Jesus bringing us to his Father, standing with us before his Father, and saying, Father, I've done this for Dale or you can use your name, please accept them now as though they were me. And the Father looks at you and me and says, I accept you as though you are my son. And one of the most powerful stories that we all know so well that paints the picture of justification, of reconciliation, is the story Jesus told called the prodigal son. You know that story. Even many unbelievers have heard of that story. But for the first time these last couple weeks as I've read and studied that story, I began to realize it is a beautiful picture of what it means to be justified. 
It's a beautiful picture of what the gospel does to you. Do you remember the story? Remember how the younger son comes to his father and he says, Dad, I'm, I'm just tired. I, I want my inheritance. I, I want to go live life my way. And the father just gives him his inheritance and he goes off and he spends it all. And when he's run out of money, he runs out of friends. There's a famine in the land. He's so hungry, he's left to feed the swine. This is a Jewish boy feeding pigs. He finally kind of comes to his sense and he says, what on earth am I doing? I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to go home and tell my dad I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against earth, and I've got a plan, dad. I'm paraphrasing. But I've got a plan, and my plan is hire me back as one of your employees because I know you treat your employees better than the guy who was telling me I had to eat the food that I was giving to the pigs. So he makes his way home. Can you imagine how, how tattered his clothes must have been, what he must have smelled like? how defeated he was. And when the father sees him coming from a long distance away, what does the father do? He runs to his son, opens his arms up, and swallows him in a hug of grace and mercy. And there are five gifts that the father gives to his son that he gives to you and to me. And this was kind of newer for me to think about. First of all, the father says, bring the robe and put it on my son. Now I can just picture the father taking off that dirty, filthy, raggedy robe his son was wearing and throwing it aside and taking his best robe and placing it on his son. The Bible says that our righteousness, our attempts at being good enough for God is like filthy rags. But when we come to know the gospel, what God does is he takes the filthy rags off of us, he goes to the closet, as it were, pulls out the best robe of his son, and then puts it on us and says, that's how, that's how I see you now. I see you with the righteousness of my father. I see you with the righteousness of my son. And then he puts a ring on his finger. And a ring in those days was significant. It was the signet ring. In essence, that ring represented wealth and authority. It was, like, it was like a credit card in those days. And so in essence, what the father does when he puts that ring on his, on his son's finger is he's saying to him, everything that is mine is yours. Now think about this. The son just took what was the father's, his inheritance, and misspent it. And the father so lavish, he says, and here's the credit card. Everything I have is yours. Listen, everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you and me today. Do you know that? The Bible tells us that. Everything that is his is ours. And it'll be fully realized someday. Man, we live like paupers, don't we? We live like such poor, poor people because we're not, we're not convinced of what's being given to us in Christ. Third thing he does, he puts sandals on his feet. I don't know if the boy showed up uh, barefooted, didn't have any shoes anymore or sandals anymore. If they're all worn out, he put sandals on his feet. And that's such a beautiful picture of God saying, I'm going to slip truth. You have truth to stand on now. You have something you can count on now. And then he makes the sacrifice. He takes a calf and he kills it. He invites the whole village to come. And, they, and, and he sacrifices this animal. It's a wonderful barbecue. But think about this. God took his son and sacrificed him on the cross. And he says, look. Look at what I've done for my son. Everybody come and celebrate. And, you know, the Bible tells us the angels celebrate when one person comes and accepts the gospel. And finally, the fifth thing he does, he throws this tremendous party. The angels rejoice when somebody comes to faith. 
Someday when you stand before God, when Tim Keller went before the Lord, when my dad went before the Lord, when my mom went before the Lord, when your loved ones in Christ went before the Lord, there was rejoicing and celebration in heaven. And someday when we all are before the Lord, we'll look at this in a few weeks in the book of Revelation, someday when we're all before the Lord, there's going to be a wonderful celebration. We can't even imagine how great it's going to be. And I can't help but remember what my friend Han Robinson said when he preached this message and he kept talking about a third brother. And I've, I've said this to you before. You should remember this. Who's the third brother in the story? I kept looking. I kept thinking, one, two. I don't see a third brother. The third brother's Jesus who's telling the story. He's telling it to sinners who don't think they're good enough. He's telling it to Pharisees who think they are good enough. And he's saying, look, you can't come to my father unless I bring you home to him. That, my friends, that is the gospel. It is what changes and transforms our lives. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's what Christ, he becomes sin for us so that in him, finish it with me, please, we might become the righteousness of God. One more thought. Let's talk very briefly about the power of the gospel, and then we'll pick it up there next weekend. But the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? It changes lives. It changes lives. I had a guy come up to me in Dar es Salaam this week. He was this big, big man from Ethiopia. And he shook hands with me and he said, because we had been talking about, you know, some of the hardships and, and persecution and things that are going on. He said to me, he goes, I want you to know, he goes, I used to hate Christians. He said, I used to persecute Christians. I used to beat up Christians. And I thought, and he sounds just like the apostle Paul before Paul encountered the gospel. So I used to be a, he didn't use it this way, but in essence what he's saying is I used to be a really bad dude. He said, then I, I found out what the gospel is all about. And he said, I, I mainlined the gospel. I put faith, all of my faith in what Jesus did for me. And he said, my life has been changed forever. And now I go around Ethiopia preaching the gospel and I get persecuted for it. He was happy about it. <laughs> I heard so many stories like that. You know, the evidence of the power of the gospel is, is when you're persecuted for it. When you're persecuted for it and you don't let, it be, you don't let the persecutors beat you down. But you wear it as a badge. A badge of honor. That I'm willing, this is such good news, I'm willing to suffer because there's somebody out there that'll hear it and it'll change their life forever. Do you know the power of the gospel in your life? Seriously, has it changed you? I'm going to guess the majority of us in this room today and watching you online are believers. But the gospel has become so ho-hum to us. We sing about it, talk about it, and we forgot what it did for us. And we get apathetic and we start to complain and get negative and think how hard our lives are and how hard this world is. Listen, the world is hard. Your life may be hard, but I want to tell you something. What God did for you, my goodness, you got it made. You got it made. 
But if you don't know the power of the gospel, what are you waiting for? It's life-changing. All you have to do is put your faith in what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads here before you today, for those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, forgive us if we've become apathetic. Forgive us if we've become bored with it. Because somehow we become convinced by this world that there's something else out there that will make us more complete and there's nothing that will. Nothing that will. Everything the world offers leads to chaos, pain, and destruction. Only the gospel, the good news of what's been done for us changes and liberates us. But Lord, there may be some out there today who honestly are unsure, have never put their faith in what you've done for them, Jesus. And so I pray right now, touch their mind, touch their hearts, show them, invite them, let them know it's okay that they can just trust you. Not you and, not you plus, but just trust you. If you're here today and you've never, you're unsure if you've ever put just your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done, and, and today it's your breakthrough moment, then right where you are, just silently say to the Lord, Lord, I, I want you to take over my life. I believe in this gospel. Forgive my sins. Forgive me for not trusting you today. I put my trust in you today. I say yes to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.